Welcome to Canva Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word change, the act or instance of making or becoming different. And as Heraclitus said 2,500 years ago, the only constant is change. Here to discuss the importance and impact of change is actor, writer, and musician, Matt Wells. Matt began his career writing songs and fronting the notorious punk hardcore band Bucket Truck in his native Newfoundland, Canada, which led to him becoming an acclaimed host and journalist for Much Music and MTV, among others, where he interviewed everyone from Quentin Tarantino and Lee Daniels to Lady Gaga and Lou Reed. Since shifting his focus to acting and filmmaking, Matt has appeared in Schitt's Creek and Designated Survivor, as well as the award-winning short film Poison in the Water, which he co-wrote with his daughter, and his most recent short film, The New Normal, which won Best International Comedy at the 2021 Venice Film Festival. It was a beautiful post that Matt wrote about his work as writer, producer, and actor on the award-winning and critically acclaimed independent film Crown and Anchor that prompted me to reach out to Matt and ask him to join me on Camera Ready and Able because what he wrote resonated with me completely. So I want to share it right now. So Matt wrote, change. When I left much, much more, I didn't know what was next. I'd been there almost 12 years and it became a big part of my identity. It was my career. I was the guy from much. Now what? I had a young family, a mortgage, I had dropped out of university to tour with my band in my early 20s, so my bed was pretty much made. I was lost. My head was down, but acting found me. Writing found me. I'm just glad I had my head up long enough not to miss that, and I had some pretty great friends to make sure of it. Five years ago, we started principal photography on Crowd and Anchor, and just like my band and time as a music TV host before, it changed my life. I used to be afraid of change, and now it's all I can think about. My ma always reminds me that when one door closes, another one opens. She's always right, but don't tell her I told you. Don't give up. PMA, much love. Welcome, Matt. So much to discuss. How much? Oh, still resonates every time I read it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Barbara. I love being able to talk to you and reconnect. And, you know, like we were just saying before we started, even that post, it's still sort of fresh. Like I only posted it maybe less than two weeks ago. The actual act of me even posting something like that was a big change for me because I have a real love-hate relationship with social media. On the one hand, I'm told that as a, as a host or an actor, I need to sort of curate my social media audience and all these things and build, build it and have followers. And that doesn't connect with me. <laughs> I have a hard time doing it. So I try and I try to post from time to time, but that one in particular, uh, it felt, I, I had this moment and I was like, I'm either gonna just stop using social media altogether, honestly, or I'm gonna post this. And I posted it and it just sort of blew up, you know? And it taught me how important the actual thing I was writing is, you know? Change is so important, growth is so important. And, um, and you asking me here to talk about it was just more proof that maybe I'm onto something. <laughs> oh, you're onto something. 
And one of the ways, by the way, to, you know, that helps connecting with social media and to bring it into alignment with your values is to remind yourself about what you just did. It's about community yeah. as opposed to the marketing, noticing, notice, notice me. It's understanding your value. The I mean, the value that of what you say and the potential to make an impact on the world, which is again, what the podcast is all about. But so I, it was just so much in alignment. So sometimes that reframe is helpful because trust me, I, I get the love hate, but I also really think about the vulnerability of that because you have jobs, everything you've done as a front man, as a host, and now as an actor, you're putting, you're always putting yourself out there, which is a fascinating thing for those of us who don't have those sorts of like on stage kind of professions and callings. And yet it still felt so vulnerable to you to share that, which is an interesting duality for some of us who don't walk in the, the same shoes. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, sometimes you get so, um, I'm so lost in what I do. Like if, like, for instance, this week I had four auditions to do, uh, self-tape auditions in, the, in our new world. And, um, and, you know, they take a lot of time and you're doing your thing. They're all very different. Um, but it occurs to me that when I take a step back and think about it every day, I'm doing a job interview, you know, it's not like one job interview to get a job that you keep. I'm doing a job interview every day. If I'm doing a self tape as an actor, if I'm doing a self tape as a host, certainly when I was singer in a band, and even sometimes when I still perform in that moment, at that time, you have to connect with the people in front of you to continue doing what you want to do. So it's a constant job interview. It's constantly being vulnerable. And sometimes I forget about that because I'm so laser focused on it, but it's not easy. No, it's not easy. And I, I echo your sentiments all the time because really job interviews are auditions. Auditions are job interviews. And to extend that, you know, and is your, is your work as a creative and as a producer. So when you're pitching concepts or when you're going out to pitch for financing, that's also an audition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to, to your point, it's like, if you decide that this is the world you want to be in, if this is the career path, and you know, even though it seems like I've had all these many different careers, which in one sense I've had, they're, they're all very connected. You know, it's the entertainment sort of world where you're constantly have to either convince an agent or a promoter to take your band on, to convince a producer or whoever to take you on as a host or convince a director and a producer to take you on. It's constantly the same thing. And it's, it's not for the faint of heart, really. And you, it really does help you um, get over that, um, that sort of disappointment that you can get. Um, it, hel it helps you deal with it the more that you do it. Can you recall a moment where you were like, wow, I handled this better than I did in the past? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I can tell you in particular, so when I, when I did leave much and much more music, and for any of your non-Canadian listeners, it's essentially Canada's MTV. So it was, it, was, it was the same format, but it was the Canadian version. And I had been with that company in the different iterations of it. So much like MTV had VH1, we had much music and much more music. So that was my world for about 11 years. I went right from my band, right from working at TGI Fridays, okay, right to being a host. No, no broadcasting school, no, no experience whatsoever. I just jumped onto television as the front man of this band. And then it really became my life. And I felt very secure in it, 
the money was great. I, I was like, this is my career. And then Barbara, as you know, at a certain point, even, even before it became about influencer YouTubers, the hosting landscape started to change because the VJs went away and now hosts were becoming celebrities. So for someone who was just like a career host who wasn't really a celebrity, it was very difficult. So as I left Much Music, I was now going out into this world where before I was the guy, I was Matt from Much Music. Without that, I was just this unemployed host. And that sucked my confidence, right? So I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I was doing some hosting. I was trying the acting. But I do remember I wanted to find a way that I could combine. I, I, was, I was lost. Like I said in my post, I was trying to figure out what is it that makes me happy? What do I want to do? And how can I make a, a living for my family? And I knew that I love music and I love performing it. I knew that I felt comfortable on camera and I was given an opportunity to start auditioning for some of these larger musicals that would come to Canada. So they'd be on Broadway in New York and then through Mervish in Toronto, you'd have them like Kinky Boots, Rock of Ages, and Once the Musical. I started getting auditions for these, but I didn't have a theater background, but I had a music background, a little bit of an acting background, mostly on camera background. And I got an audition for Once the Musical, which was like, this was my show. I had met Glenn Hansard. I had interviewed him through Much Music. He's from Ireland. I'm from Newfoundland. We had connected. I loved his music. I got this audition and did the first one, got a call back. And they said, Matt, they want to see you. I was like, oh, this is so good. So uh, to me, I was like, this is it. I'm going to do this for the six month run. This is going to change my life. You had to learn one song from the show, bring in another song that you could do on your own and uh, a big monologue and a scene all with an Irish accent, which luckily for me from Newfoundland, I could turn on really quickly. It was no problem for me to go to an Irish accent. So I get to the last audition and I'm, my agent tells me we're down to like two, two or three people for the lead. And I go in and I perform the song which is not easy. Glenn Hansard is very talented and his songs are in this very weird tuning. And I went in and I just killed it. The song was so good. I did my monologue so good. And it was all the producers from New York. And then I could see it in their faces. I was like, I got them. I'm going to get this job. And then one of them said to me, could you do another song from the show? And I hadn't learned another song from the show. The breakdown and the, the directions from casting was just like just one song from the show and what and a couple other songs. But at the time, the producers, they weren't privy to that casting. They were just now looking for their guy. And as soon as I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, was I supposed to learn another song from the show? And their energy just. And at that moment, I had them. And a second later, I was like, they don't want me. I said, I can do a bunch of other songs. And they said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I did the song and all I was thinking the whole time was like, watch this happened, walked out, didn't get the job. And I don't have a lot of regrets. You know, I, I truly believe things happen for a reason and when they're supposed to happen. I believe in that moment, had I learned another song from that show, I would have got the job. And it re it, this was sort of in the wake of me leaving uh, Much Music, and it was devastating to me because now I, I was like, well, I can't even do this. Uh, but I quickly learned that there was nothing more I could have done in that moment 
to prepare. I could have over-prepared and said, mm, maybe I should learn an extra song and perhaps I should have. And in subsequent auditions, I have. But it took me a minute, but I, but I got over it and I had to remind myself that I was fully prepared for that show. But Barbara, had I got that show, I wouldn't have been hired on to host uh, another show that happened immediately after, which was just a pilot that Mark Burnett had produced. And there was a chain of events that had me end up meeting people because of it that met someone who's now become a very good friend who produced Crown and Anchor with me. So if I had got once the musical, it would have sent my life in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to get that. And all these other things happened because I didn't. And I had to remind myself that, and they were in different worlds, right? So it was about change. It was about growth. It was about learning, right? Learning that sometimes the no that you get is just as important as the yes. Oh, wow. Oh, Matt, I love that. It's also from my you know, vantage point, because I didn't have to live through that and the disappointment, was you have tremendous empathy for every actor who comes in and reads for you for anything that you're creating and producing, because you've been on both sides of that. Um, it reminds us to factually when it comes to pitching that you can't be over too prepared. Right. Right. And then, you know, to your point, I'm also, it's like from an abundance thing, I was like, wait, was that, you got all the way to the final, final callbacks in front of producers. Yeah. To me that we, I always try to encourage people to understand like that's the win. Yeah. But there can always be a million and one reasons why. Um, somebody, you don't get the role at the last minute, right? It could just be that, you know, someone who's writing the biggest check has a nephew who, I mean, there's just yeah. a million re one reasons why yeah. um, a pandemic can hit and the show gets closed. I yeah. mean, there's just so many reasons why. So the fact you got that far, like that's just massive. And just to be able to hold that and for anybody listening, like with confidence, like, well, wow, if I did that once, I can do that again. Yeah, you're totally right. And, you know, it really does come um, with the hindsight of it. And I, and I now, because of moments like that, I try to remind myself in all of these moments that when I don't get one, like now when I don't get a show, when I, and I, because I'm, I do auditions all the time as an actor. And sometimes, you, you know, most times you don't even hear anything. You know, you'll hear if, you're, if they want to put you on hold or if, they, if you're in the mix or whatever it is. But I've really now learned to just, I do the audition and I'm completely done with it. And if I hear from them again, great. Um, but it was that time leaving much music. It was the leaving the much, much music. It was the two years when I was sort of hovering and I was hosting, which was sort of in the, in the time when I met you, maybe a little bit later, but I was still like, oh, I'm, I'm still a host. Maybe I have to be a host. And I was sort of just like floating around, not really knowing what to do. And since that time, uh, oh, and in that time when I was floating, everything all the disappointments were hard because I, mm -hmm. I, I felt so, it was almost like desperation. Like, well, what am I going to do now? I've learned that I just had to just do what I can do and let it go. Because just like you said, sometimes you have no idea what it might be. You might remind casting or the producer of someone they hated in high school. They, it, it might be something as simple as you look too much like someone else in the show. And Mostly it's like things that are out of your control. So all you can do is be in control of your own self and make sure that you've done all the work necessary. And if you've done that, 
you've learned something, you've gained something, you know, you've, you've done the work. Maybe you've learned a new accent. Maybe you've learned a new song and that's the win. Just like you said, getting to those producers, that was the win because the next time it helps you with the nerves. It helps you with the confidence. And that's what it gave me. Mm. Well, you know, words matter and every episode is presented by word. And there's so many great words in uh, your post and in this conversation. So in addition to change, we have identity, Mm -hmm. which you spoke about. Yeah. Fear, which is like, so change identity and fear. I decided to be its own little musical trio, but there's also something I thought was really interesting is your openness. So you were open to change and that makes such a big difference to allow things to come to you because you had tremendous amount of disappointment, right? But that's where the learning happens, but it didn't close you, which is a really important point. You didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I guess it all depends on where you are in your life, right? For me, I think on the one hand, I've always been someone who's I think, I think it, because I come from Newfoundland, you have to understand this part of the, of the world. It's an island in the middle of the North Atlantic. It's very isolated. You know, even with the internet and social media connecting us all, there's a very unique identity, identity in Newfoundland where you can be a famous Newfoundland musician. And if a, a huge artist were to come out, you could in some cases draw as many people as them because the, because the Newfoundland culture is so much that it supports its own. Right. But at the same time, you had to work extra hard to sort of connect to the rest of the world here. When I was growing up, Barbara, the idea of being on television was not even on my radar. You know, there were some Newfoundlanders here who certainly had their own shows or, or on CBC in Canada. But it wasn't even on my radar. Music is big here. I thought I could be a musician. I saw much music. I saw them playing bands. I could do that. The idea of being on television or being an actor was just like, that's unheard of. So when I fell into these things through my band and I left Newfoundland, I had this worker bee mentality where I knew that I had to keep going. So this is a long way of saying that when I, when I left much music and my head was down, because I was disappointed and my ego was hurt. It was just ego, really. I, I had two things going for me. One, I had that Newfoundland sort of salt water kind of piss and vinegar. But I also had two young kids and a mortgage and a wife. Like I, I, I had no choice. I couldn't just go sit on the couch and, 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 and get high and watch movies. I had to go earn, right? So I, I just didn't really give myself a choice, right? But it doesn't mean it's easy. You're fighting through things. Disappointment can lead to depression, can lead to all these things. So keeping my head up um, is something that I really took from that moment. Because if I didn't have it up and I wasn't open to the things that were coming to me and I just wallowed in my disappointment, none of these things would have happened. And it didn't matter what my age was. It didn't matter that I had just spent my entire entirety of my 20s and into my early 30s doing this one job. And now I had to think about being an actor. It doesn't matter. Thought it did, but it, it didn't. And, and it was just, so to your point, keeping your head up is so important because you might miss something if it's, if it's down. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You know, if you, if you don't, if you don't look up and see what the universe is putting in front of you as, as, 
cliche or cheesy as that might sound, and, and it depends on who's listening. Some people might call that God. Some people might call that just spirituality or energy, whatever you want to call it. It's there for us, you know? Absolutely. You know, one person once uh, described it for me at a time when I was in, in a lot of transition and between jobs had just said, and also between relationships and my, and my heart had been broken. So I just, you know, a yeah. cocktail of disappointment, but had said to me, just keep the door open a crack. Because if you shut the door, you're never going to open it again because it hurts too much to reopen. Just keep it open a crack. So like you could see the light coming in. Yes. And that's all that like you need just so that because it reminds you because I understand it's like even keeping your head up. It's like it feels so heavy. Your body wants to drag it down. So it's only if you just like lift it up a little bit during the day, just kind of like a turtle. Just like Yes. Um, but I want to go back to something because it's in your post too. It's like you were afraid of change and now it's all you think about. So it, are there moments could you share or describe when you realized you were just a little bit less afraid and how that felt? Yeah, I think I've also always been a creature of habit um, in something as simple as like, I don't like when I have to get a new version of an iPhone. I'm like, come on, do I really need to? You know, I hold on to it What's for so long. What's your astrological sign? I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Maybe you are. Ooh. Um, so the change thing, is, it started with the band. You know, I clung on to that band for dear life. We were so close on so many occasions. Um, we were always in the mix. We were always in the room with the big dogs. We were always almost, we were literally almost famous. And it was hard to let go. But, you know, the way that I got the much music job was because of the band. The person who was hosting the show before me was interviewing our band a lot. And he started to see that I had this personality that would work on the show. And at the same time, he was leaving. So he pushed for me to get that job. And he said it to me one day. His name is Mike Campbell. He was one of the original Much Music VJs. And he said, you could host this show. And I was like, I could host this show. Like early 20s working at TGI Fridays. Who am I? Yeah, I could host it. And I still had the band. He, he was really instrumental in me getting that job. But because I was like willing to hear him and listen to him, and honestly, at the time, it wasn't cool for my band to be on much music. Like we were a punk hardcore band. Like to be on the mainstream music television show was like, that's not cool. So I had to grapple with that a little bit, but I was like, no, I, this can work. This can work. I was open so to So much it. about identity all right? over the place. Totally, totally. But I made that work. And then my identity became the guy from the punk and hardcore band who has infiltrated much music. And he's one of us now. And he's in there. Also changing for, the identity of much music. At least a small portion of it for the people who maybe weren't open to it before, right? So I felt like that was my identity. I was the outsider and I was inside now. And that was big for me. But I clung on to the band. The band ended. Then I clung on to the job. I was trying to find all different ways. It was too good a job. I'm an interviewer. I was a host. And then things were changing. And... It was because of it was because of that I had the hindsight of, of that early part of my life to go. I went from a singer of a punk band playing shows with Slayer to interviewing Sarah McLaughlin on a live performance show. 
that's the same guy. I can do anything I want, right? I can change. I love that. It doesn't mean it's easy. Um, but losing the identity was the hardest part. I was the guy from Bucket Truck. I was the guy from Much Music. And then I was just the guy who was in Bucket Truck and was on Much Music. And then in this industry, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Why hasn't this guy been on TV in six or eight months? What's going on? So that early in my life, I realized that, um, but I didn't know it at the time, Barbara. That's the thing. I, I didn't know that I'd be open to change. It was sort of happening and I had that hard work head down mentality, like got to get through it. But when I had nothing, when, the, when I wasn't on much music and I was now going to be a freelance host or actor, that was when the change part really hit me and I had to take stock. And my head started to come up when I really started to, to sort of pat myself on the back. Like you said, look, look at that once the musical audition two ways, either you didn't get it or you made it all the way to the end. So when I started to look at it, like the way you suggested, then I was like, I've already been through change. I've done it. It hasn't been easy. I can do it again. And that was my putting my head up moment. Because the much music thing, Barbara, was different. Bucket Truck was very cult, very underground. Didn't make a whole lot of money, just enough. Just enough to pay my rent. The much music thing, that's national television. Anybody now even who is in the age of the VH1 generation or MTV, they still remember me from television, right? So that was a big thing. There was only 10 or 11 VJs for about five or six years in Canada, and I was one of them. So when you don't have that anymore, that's all people sort of think you are. And that was the hardest thing for me to break. And crown and anchor is what did it. Oh, I want to get to that because the other word, one of my favorites has been two episodes of the podcast already is I think it's part of in the water in Newfoundland, but it's also what happens through surviving all this change is resilience. Yeah. And that's what you start to tap into and you bring that work ethic. So with that, because it just popped into my head while you were talking um, to connect the dots because it's, it's like someone at much music saw something in you. So this gets into the part about tapping into your superpowers. And I don't even know if you've ever spent time thinking about it. If you haven't, that means I can have you back to discuss this further, but it's like, it's also the, wherever you go, there you are. So it's like, what have you brought to all these things? Cause I actually think it's amazing. You could just walk into the door at much music and suddenly be a host. I mean, it does take training and then you could suddenly start interviewing me global celebrities, it tells me that you are naturally curious, that you're actually showing up for others. And so these might be things you haven't thought about, but from sitting in my chair where I look at people all the time, it's like, what is Matt bringing everywhere he goes? Because somehow writing and acting found you, but you had to go into other rooms and convince people. And I think it's, it's these superpowers that you bring wherever you are, regardless of what the delivery system is or what the lane mm -hmm. is or the platform, however you want to describe it, you bring it with you. I don't even know if you've ever sat around and thought about it. No, I definitely have not. <laughs> it sounds interesting to me. And I do have to pause for one second. Why was Bucket notorious? Well, it's because from in Newfoundland, we are known for anyone who's seen Come From Away, it's we're known for traditional Celtic Irish music. And the, the bands that were most um, well-known from here were bands like Great Big Sea or um, the Irish Descendants. Th these were huge folk 
traditional Irish bands. So that's what everybody knew Newfoundland for. That's why they were coming here. That's, that's what the music industry was looking for. And here we were, we were like, we listened to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We listened to New York hardcore, to be honest. We're listening to bands like Quicksand or Gorilla Biscuits. And we're like, this is what we're into. So we were pretty notorious live. Like, I mean, I, you know, we have been, <laughs> we have had venues shut down because it got too crazy. We have had stages destroyed. I have had beer bottles broken over my head. Not in a, not in a way where it sounds like these people are crazy. Hardcore, honestly, and this is a whole other long conversation, but in my post, when I said PMA, positive mental attitude, that for me came from hardcore music, straight edge hardcore music from New York. Bands like um, Gorilla Biscuits, you know, it was this straight edge approach to life. No drinking, no smoking, no alcohol, positivity in the music, socially conscious. Um, that's that's what I, where we came from. So we were just a loud, heavy band and the kids loved it and they would want to mosh and do spin kicks. And for the, for the person who doesn't understand that world, they're like, oh, they're just really trying to hurt each other. But it was a really good way to sort of get your energy out. And honestly, Barbara, all the lyrics that I wrote as we were ending were all socially and politically charged. Some of my lyrics, you know, a lot of people don't know this about Bucket Truck because we're such a small cult band, but my, a lot of my lyrics now are being used in classrooms in Canada, you know, because, because songs about mass media, songs about um, relocation uh, of, the, of, the t- of the town of Africville in Nova Scotia, where some of the first African-American settlers on the Underground Railroad came to Canada. This is the, these are the songs that we, we, we sang. And um, we were, so we were notorious in that we were a punk and hardcore band from a, a place that just wanted people to think it was about fiddles and flutes. And, uh, and the louder we got and the more that served us, the crazier our stage shows got. Okay. How does that then translate into your first film? And by the way, I, I'm also, now I'm stacking questions, but I was so riveted that you wrote a movie with your daughter. Yeah, well, Sophia's very talented and she she was like, I guess she was probably six or seven. She's in, she's in the movie with me. You can see it. it's on YouTube. Um, she's in the movie with me, but she came to me. She has a very vivid imagination. And she came to me one night and said, Dad, there's there's a witch poisoning the water at the park near the house. And she was so she was convinced. So she was couldn't get to sleep. So I was like, well, let's go. Let's go to the park. And the movie came from that. It so the wait, movie- wait, 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 wait. I just want to sit with the parenting for a second. Yeah. Because having raised two kids, the most common answer would have been, no, no, honey, it's all okay. Yeah. Right. So now we're getting into another superpower is it's like you take active listening to a whole other level to make someone feel seen and heard and bring out the best in them. That's incredible. And I've never really looked at it that way, but I, I, I take that from you. That's the Newfoundland of you because you. you're not, yeah, you're not a New Yorker gazing at your navel, but that's okay. We love you. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. That's incredible. Incredible. I wonder, I'm curious if anybody, you know, drop a line if you're listening to this and said, oh yeah, my parents would have said, let's go to the park. She, she was just, she, she was scared. She didn't, be, she didn't believe there was nothing there. So I, 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 I just figured let's go. You, get, you held so much space for her. 
that's an incredible gift. And and that's the movie turned into that. So we actually ended up getting um, a, a nice chunk of funding to make it. So the, the film just turned out to be, well, what if they did find the witch and we made it a manifestation uh, of, of the grief of losing a parent? So that part was made up, but we've tried to find a way we could spin it. So it was still a father who had to be open to taking his daughter and saying, maybe there's something isn't in, in the in the park. So that's that's what we turned it into. And I'll send you. I'll send you the link um, so you can watch it. It's it's beautiful. So she and I acted. Nobody will also post it in the notes for the episode. Yeah, that's really that would be great. Thank it's you. it's a it's a sweet little film, and she's so great in it. That's incredible. She got her first writing credit at six years old. Yeah, I'm obsessing about this story. So let's go back to your first your first independent film. Yes. So what you learn Anchor, from it? Literally, when when much music was done, and I was sort of hovering for these couple of years, and I knew that I wanted to act, and I was starting acting later in life, I knew that I had to jump some steps and jump some hoops. I couldn't just start at the beginning as a 19-year-old. At this point, I was like 35 years old. I was like, I got to make up for some time here. So, so now we have strategy and creating opportunity. And, and I, at least, yes, and you're right. And I would, I had learned that from being in the band and being the band manager and then, you know, selling myself as a host and trying to get, you know, so I kind of, I understood all that and I understood, well, I'm going to take everything I've already learned from the past, you know, 15 to 18 years of what I've been doing in, in, in the entertainment industry and know that I got to make up for some time here. So, uh, I wrote, it was my first script. I wrote a script collaborated with my best friend who was the drummer in my band. And we both were kind of lost when the band ended. He had started acting. He had landed his first role on a show called Arrow out of the gate, played Deadshot on Arrow. First job. Just a little credit there. And we were like, let's make a movie what we can act in together because it was essentially us getting the band back together. And then we brought in his little brother who was an amazing director. And I'd known him since he was like five. And he sort of rewrote the script and I found the money and we made this movie in Newfoundland, in our hometown. And we knew that we could get a small enough budget that nobody would tell us what to do. We could make it look like a couple million dollars if we got the right people involved. And it worked. It played in theaters in Canada, which for an independent film was unheard of. Did five weeks in theaters in Canada some small theaters uh, in America. It did the Nighthawk in, in Brooklyn. And then we got distribution in North America, distribution in the UK. We got, you know, we got a reviewed in the LA Times. We, like, it was just crazy what was happening. But honestly, I have to say, it, it was very much, now that I think about it, not unlike my post. It was, it was because it was all honest, you know? We made this movie, an independent film that was two hours long, a drama, and scored with nothing but punk and hardcore music. Everything that everybody told us not to do. And we're like, nah. So now we have, we're adding to this emotional honesty and transferable skills, which is a practical consideration. Totally. I never would have been able to make Crown and Anchor without what I had already learned. And, you know, I, w- I cleared all the music just from my connections at Much Music. I did all the music clearance. I was able to clear all that music for like so little money just because of the relationships I had made. And the soundtrack is amazing. It's like Gorilla Biscuit, Johnny Thunders, um, X-Ray Specs. It's like, it's unbelievable. So, you know, and you know, the movie didn't change the world. It didn't make, make us any money, but it was that changed thing. Changed your world. 
It was that thing, right? It did change my world, 100%. It was the calling card. And now it was like, oh, he's not, oh, this is the guy we thought was the much music guy, but he just starred in this movie, you know, which played in theaters, got nominated for two Canadian Screen Awards, which is the Canadian Oscars, like this little punk rock indie movie. And that was big for me. It was, it was, it showed me that it was possible to, to change and do something different. And, you know, I think Barbara, the the thing that that's, that's, this is all reminding me of and the thing that I've always sort of thought, and I don't think I've ever really articulated in an interview, only ever with friends. The only thing, if this is for anybody who's a musician or an actor or a host aspiring or whatever, the only thing that stands between us, the creative the host or actor or whatever, and the famous successful musician, actor, or host, the only thing that stands between us is opportunity. It's not always talent. It doesn't mean that they're better. Sometimes it's just the opportunity to get it. Some of my favorite musicians and bands and actors are people that no one will ever hear of. It's just because the opportunity wasn't there, you know? And I guess it's all about how you gauge the success, you know? If you if your success level is like I want to be Brad Pitt, that's probably not going to happen. But if your success level is like I'd like to be a working actor, that's possible. Anything else happens is up to the universe at that point, right? There's too many things. The stars have to align too many times for you to become Brad Pitt. But you can be a working actor and work your ass off and make sure you're prepared and do those auditions. I mean, what is it they say, right? It's not luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yes. And my favorite Jason Flom added to that persistence, which I think is so great. So yeah, luck is when opportunity meets preparedness and persistence or preparation. I was like, yep. Yep. There you go. So what's, what do you do? What are you up to now? I'm in Newfoundland right now. Uh, I'm between here and Toronto. Um, I'm doing a lot more writing. Uh, I've right now I have two books that I have optioned that I'm So one I have already, um, turned into a script and we're pretty close to making it. It's a book called hold me mother. And, uh, it's by a musician named Sean McCann. His story is unbelievable. He was one of the, he was one of the famous folk musicians from Newfoundland and he still is. And um, he, his story is tragic, but triumphant. He was abused by his family priest when he was a young boy. He buried that in alcohol for 30 years and became a functioning alcoholic and became a world famous folk musician. And then when he stopped drinking to save his family, all everything he was suppressing came back. And now for the past 10 years sober, he has been a, uh, he's a survivor. He's a mental health advocate. And he's a speaker. And that's what his life has become. I want to talk about change. So I've adapted Sean's and his wife, Andrea, who wrote it with him, their book into a script. And we're fairly oh, close beautiful. to making this a reality. It's, it's, been a, uh, it's a big dream of mine to make this movie for him and, and his wife. And I have another um, book that I just started. It's, a, it's a, a, an almost NBA star from Newfoundland who lost his family when he was very young. And he used basketball to help him through it. And he had a storied international basketball career. And now he's moved back to Newfoundland and started his own basketball academy. Oh, I see. See, and I'm seeing a through line in these story arcs and what speaks to you. Oh, this is beautiful. I can't wait to see these. Matt, you are a gift. Will you come back sometime? Barbara, I will come back and talk to you every day if you ask me. 
Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you would like info on one-on-one -on -one private coaching or a custom communications workshop for your company or team, please skip on over to ableintermedia.com and shoot me a note. And please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.